Good morning. I'm Donna Vickery. I'd like to welcome y'all this morning. On a serious note, uh, James and Donna are in Texas. Uh, years ago when they lived there, they, uh, I don't know all the details, but they made a lot of, a lot of friends and uh, friends who became family to them. Uh, one of those uh, families, uh, the fella is, is dying and uh, he's on hospice now and, and uh, James and Donna are there to be be with the, him and the family, and uh, his name is Ralph Aiken. So if James asks if we'd remember um, Ralph and uh, his family, he said Ralph knows Jesus, so that's a good thing. And uh, so just keep them in in your prayers. Psalms 150, verse 6 says, Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. A couple of announcements before we, uh, before we begin singing. This Wednesday, Carvin will be leading our prayer meeting. Next Sunday we'll have a, a special treat. Leslie Lamb will be speaking. I think Carolyn said she's going to be sharing about uh, some of the work with Mercy, uh, whatever the new name is, Mercy Ministry. And uh, so we look forward to that. Scott will be leading us on the 18th on a Wednesday. In terms of giving, I think most of you here know the drill. Either put it in the back in the box, give online, snail mail. Now we spoke, we had a council meeting a week or two ago and our, uh, our plan is uh, possibly next week or the week after, I'm not exactly sure, we're gonna start passing the plate again and our goal in that is to try to try to get back to some level of normalcy. Normalcy. That's normal with a CY on the end. And uh, I understand with the increased whatever's going on now, and I'll address that in a little while, but we just want to try to get back to living like we're supposed to live. So we're going to start passing the plate. And if you are a visitor hiding behind a pew, you can uh, pull a connect card out, fill it out, and give it to an usher or someone, and we'll uh, send you a note to let you know we're thankful you're here. So uh, let's sing and have a good morning of worship. Won't you stand as we begin our worship service with our God is lifted up. Our God is lifted up with the shouts of joy. Our God is lifted up in the sounding of the trumpets. Our God is lifted up with the shouts of joy. 
and I'd like to tell Scott thank you for what you're doing and your family and in our church family these these weeks and months. Appreciate that. Before Scott comes up, I would like to mention some prayer requests. Um, a lot of them you can see there in the in your handout, and uh, we got an update last night from. Uh, Kitty cats running around back here somewhere, I guess. Uh, got an update from Dale last night. The uh, the doctor's office called him yesterday evening and said that he has uh, pneumonia, and so he was thinking he was kind of coming out of it and feeling better. And and uh, but he was able to get into a doctor this week who was willing to help him. And uh, he had gone to other doctors who were not willing to help him. And so thankfully, thank the Lord and thank those doctors that are working with him that they've uh, most likely, best we can determine, saved his life. So uh, we're thankful for that. We just continue to pray for him. Another friend of ours, Sam Hughes, who we've known probably ever since we've moved to Downsville. Uh, I'd like to request prayer for him. He's having some complications from the vaccine that he that he took, and uh, so he's a young fellow, great guy, and just like you to remember Sam. Larry Worsham just gave me a couple requests. Ralph Ralph Taylor, his wife died, uh, so I'd like to remember Ralph and the family, and then. A friend of Larry Worsham's uh, daughter, Kelly Robinson, died in her sleep. Uh, I get what, Larry, two nights ago or so? Uh, so remember the Kelly Robinson family. Before we pray, I'd like to speak a little bit, and I'll try not to get long-winded on it, but I can't... Uh, Knowing what I know and uh, the burden that I'm carrying and have been carrying related to this uh, stuff that our our world is going through, I can't I can't not say something right now, uh, and I'm going to be pretty fairly generic about it because I don't want to hurt people, but I don't think I can look Jesus in the eyes right now and not tell him and tell him that I didn't do anything or I didn't say anything. And uh, what I'm going to talk about briefly to make you all aware is the, uh, the new mandate on children being forced to wear masks in school. And through all this stuff, when I'm done, I'm going to be, like I say, as generic as I can. I'm not going to go down some holes that I could go down. but. If anyone wants more information, please reach out to me about any of this stuff, and I'll do my best. I'm not an authority on it. I've just had a burden for it for several months, and I know a lot of stuff, and I'm not saying that in a prideful manner. I'm just uh, 
And I do want to share this little statement right here. What is right for you may not be right for me. What is right for me may not be right for you. But what is not right for either of us is being stripped of the freedom to choose what is right for ourselves. Thanks to our illustrious governor and some of his cronies and some of the cronies above him, they've recently put the new mandate into, uh, into place conveniently right before school starts. And I'm involved and I'll, I'll go into more detail, like I say, if y'all want to know about more of this stuff, talk to me, but I'm involved in a, in a group I just found out about this week through a friend of mine who called me asking for his help. In a group of parents to uh, address Washita Parish School Board at whatever, whatever extent we can, we can get to, uh, to address and give the parents a choice and the teachers a choice in whether they wear a mask or not. If they have an issue with it, if they don't want to wear it, they shouldn't be made to wear it. If they feel more comfortable wearing it, wear it. In the last year, children, school-age children's suicide level has skyrocketed due in a large part to what's taking place. So if anyone is, feels a burden for this, and again, uh, I'm just touching on the edges, but if anyone's interested in taking a part and being a voice, we have to, if you're 25 years old, 40 years old, you can put your big boy pants on and defend yourself. If you're six years old and you're told to put a, put a rag on your face and leave it on there all day, you're going to do it. So I'll close with this, and then uh, I don't mean to be kind of harsh, but I'm, I'm just it's where I'm at. So mandatory explained. If something is referred to as a rule, guideline, or mandatory, it is not a law. You are not legally obliged to comply with it. Rules, guidelines, and things labeled compulsory or mandatory require your active consent. You cannot be forced by police or government as these things are not law. Officials use this language to try to manipulate and frighten you into volunteering your consent. Do not give it. Dear Father, we've heard your, um, the requests that have been given by those in this congregation. Those are read by Marlon, and God, we, um, we sympathize with them, and we empathize, and you know, we can do all that and feel bad for them and all this, but the best thing we can do for them is lift them to you. God, you're the one that can make the difference. You're the, the difference maker, uh, the one that can touch them, that can um, restore them and heal them. And God, we just bring these names to you right now. 
So in Jesus' name we pray for these, that you just touch them and you have your will with them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Aren't you thankful we have a Father that we can go to in prayer? And uh, He not only is capable of hearing, but is able to, like I prayed, make a difference in that. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, sharing together and looking uh, into God's Word about the kingdom and our role in it as ambassadors. Uh, we saw in uh, John chapter 3 that Jesus said we must be born again and become uh, to be part of the kingdom of God. And when that spiritual rebirth happens, we're born into God's kingdom and we become citizens of God's kingdom. And then our remaining days here uh, in this world is as, as if we were foreigners or we're aliens in a foreign land. So this is not our home, but we serve as ambassadors in it until God calls us home. We acknowledged over the last uh, week or two that Satan has power in this world. First uh, John five nineteen says, and we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So there's power there that's given to Satan. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul refers to Satan as the, the prince of the power of the, air, of the air. Excuse me, I'm stumbling over my tongue this morning. Matthew makes reference to the prince of demons in Matthew chapter 9 and in chapter 12 that Satan has a kingdom. So we talked about being a part of this kingdom of God, being born into it, but there's another, there's a clash of two kingdoms going on, isn't there? Uh, that Satan also has power in this world, and he is the prince of the power of the air. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what we've established, and we've read through Scripture, and we're talking about the kingdom of God we're in, that there's also a power through Satan in this world. Although Satan has power and authority in this current world system that we exist in right now, his power is limited always under the sovereign control of God. We can read that in Job, and we'll get to that in a little bit later. And His power is temporary, Romans 16 tells us. God's made it clear that there's only one way to escape the power of Satan's dominion. Don't you like that word? Dominion. It just sounds... <laughs> and God has made that way of escape available for us. It's through His Son. His Son, Jesus Christ. So, we read in Acts chapter 26, when Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. Remember that? This was before he was Paul. He was Saul, and he had done lots of things that uh, we've, we've read about and we won't go into discussing, but Jesus met him on that road, and he told him this. Jesus said, I'll be sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who've been sanctified by faith in me, Jesus. And then this is one of my favorite verses that we read over the last couple of weeks in, first, in uh, Colossians chapter 1. It's talking about uh, the spiritual rebirth. We're born into the kingdom. But then this verse in Colossians says we're transferred from one kingdom to the other. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. That's Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Jesus himself declared in John 12 that the ruler or the prince of this world will be cast out. So he's acknowledging Satan as the ruler or the prince of this world. He is the power over this present darkness that we read in Ephesians. He's real. And he's constantly working against God and against God's people, those who obey him. There's a real battle going on for the souls of people. So a couple weeks ago, we established all this. And this was just a little refresher to catch you up to where we're at now. This is not really a, uh, a part three of that sermon, but it, it goes along with it. And I thought it would be good for us to uh, get into the word a little bit today and look at this. So we've reminded each other that we have an enemy, an enemy that's seeking to destroy us, to destroy our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors. And this is his mission. He's on the prowl, as scripture says. So today, let's look a little closer, let's inspect this enemy to better prepare us for the daily fight that is our reality. Do you agree with me that it is a reality every day that we're in, we're in a daily, daily fight with this? Sometimes we just don't realize it or don't put any attention to it. But 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be of sober spirit. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that was the uh, main passage that I've chosen for today's uh, text. I think the NIV uses a little different language there. But be of sober spirit. Yeah, it's on the board there. So be uh, be self-controlled and alert. I like that word sober. Be of sober spirit. Would you agree with me that before you fight a war, it's always good to know something about your enemy? Right? <laughs> yeah. All right, you've met him. Well, what was that? What was that? Um, I think it was um, a commander in the War of 1812. There was a, a battle going on, and they said, We have met the enemy, and it is us. Okay. All right. Well, I'm not your enemy today, even though it says so on the title there. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. But it is important that we know our enemy and know about our enemy. And it's uh, just as important in the physical realm 
as, it, as, just, as important as it is in the physical realm, it's just as important, or maybe even more so, in the spiritual realm. You might have heard of uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, maybe you've heard him speak or preach on radio or TV, but I agree with something that he wrote about this topic. He said, many Christians do not take the enemy seriously because they don't know enough about him to take him seriously. In fact, Satan's cleverest, is that a word? Cleverest strategy is to make us believe that he does not exist or that he's not a real threat. Some Christians do not even believe in a literal devil. Instead, they believe he is a biblical symbol for evil. But that is not the position of the Bible. The devil is every bit as real as God is. So Peter tells us in the scripture that we read, 1 Peter 5, 8, that we need to be sober and on the alert about our adversary. To be sober about this, it would be good for us to wise up to Satan. To wise up to Satan. So my family and I are about to leave on vacation right after church today. We're going to go on a little driving trip up Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Detroit, Cincinnati. And you might think that's kind of some weird cities to visit. Well, we're going on a baseball trip. We're going on a baseball tour. So we're going to hit some major league ballparks along the way. And um, that's kind of, our son is uh, really into that. And it's kind of a bucket list of his, I guess we could say, to do that. And we enjoy it too. So we're going to, we're going to do that. But I don't know if you follow baseball very much or just sports in general. But... Um, Maybe you've been involved in playing or coaching. I know we have some that are probably coaches here. But I can see an analogy with this and what we're talking about today in knowing your enemy. Players and coaches are great strategists. They, they compile a strategy based on their opponent. And they spend hours and hours reviewing film, watching it over and over for their opponent of who they're about to go up against so that they know about them, right? They study them. They even have scouts who go out and they'll, they'll scout them at different games and then they'll come back with their scouting reports. And the players and the coaches, they review all those. They study them. They, they find out what they need to do to adjust what their game plan is to be able to go up against their opponent. Uh, in baseball, you'll see it in like the shift. You know, you'll see the infielder shift around because they know they've studied this batter and they know, okay, he normally hits it right over here. Or they, you'll see it in late innings when they put another pitcher in. They'll put a relief pitcher in because they know, okay, we're specifically going to face this batter with this pitcher because we know he has a weakness for this pitch. And, you know, whatever it is, there's a strategy going on there and there's study that goes into it and um, to try to know who their opponent is so they can come out on top. We need to do similar in our fight with the devil. We need to first realize and not forget that we are in a fight. And then wise up to the enemy. Know how he works. Know his strategies. Know his schemes. Know what he's all about. That word schemes, you might remember it from Ephesians chapter 6, where it's talking about putting on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 
verses 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So he is scheming, right? He is scheming. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and I read this scripture already, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the devil is a scheming. He's scheming. And uh, we need to be aware of those things. Um, and what, what he's all about, we can read in John 10.10. 10. I won't look it up here, but you know it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's all about. That's what he's all about. You might be fooled into thinking that he's helping you. That he's, whatever it is that uh, he's improving your life somehow. That he's making things better for you. But don't be fooled. His mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's good for us to remind ourselves of this. So remember, we read the scripture a couple weeks ago, and I read it a little earlier this morning from Colossians 1.13 that tells us we've been transferred from the domain of darkness to God's kingdom. Well, Satan is not okay with that. He's not okay with that. He has a plan of attack to get you back. And we have to study our opponent to see how he fights. So we'll be better equipped to not be defeated by him. So let's take a look at Satan's game plan in five parts this morning. I'm going to use the acronym. Sometimes I do this. Satan. S-A-T-A-N. So we're going to do five, five things here, starting with S. Subtle. He's subtle. First... Um, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 11.3, Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth. He's talking about Eve. And he said, the serpent, this is King James, the serpent beguiled Eve through his, it's hard for me to say this, <laughs> subtlety, through his subtlety. The serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, or his subtleness. He's subtle. So what does it mean to be subtle? The definition of subtle is fine or delicate in meaning or intent, difficult to perceive or understand, cunning, wily. I always think of wily coyote when I think of wily. But <laughs> wily or crafty, insidious in operation. This is from the dictionary. This is not from Scripture. But this describes... That the devil is subtle in his ways. It says insidious in operation. And um, if you dig a little deeper into what insidious means, it really paints a good picture for us of our enemy. Intended to entrap or beguile. It's always wanting to set a trap for us, isn't he? Or to um, trip us up. Stealthily treacherous or deceitful. Operating or proceeding in an inconspicuous or seemingly harmless way, but actually with grave effect. Now, this was from dictionary app on my phone. This is not from Scripture, but it matches up perfectly, I think, with what we see in our enemy. The subtleness of him. I like that, what it said. Operating or proceeding in an inconspicuous 
or seemingly harmless way. Can you follow me on this and how the devil works in our life? Seemingly harmless way, but actually with grave effect. Subtle. He's sly. He attacks without notice. Satan knows that the more undetected he can keep his handiwork, the less will resist him. So he's good at camouflage. He's a good camouflager. He blends into our life, even in the life of the church. He's great at blending into religious things so that we don't easily recognize him. Good at camouflage. Um, I remember as a kid walking through the woods close to our house and I came like, I don't know, if that wire was it, I came like this close before I realized it. And it was a snake, it was a copperhead. And in the, along the little creek bed that I was uh, walking down and it blended in perfectly with the leaves and the, the terrain that we were in and that's how a snake does, right? It's good at camouflage. It blends in. If you're not careful, you're right up on it before you know it. And um, Satan is like this. He's subtle. He blends into the environment so well that we don't even recognize it's him until we walk right up on him within striking distance. So since we know this about Satan, what does James say that we need to do? James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Therefore, we must be watchful and prayerful, resisting the devil and drawing nigh to God. We must be watchful and prayerful, resisting the devil and drawing nigh to God. In his camouflage, Satan can be right up next to us. So in effect, we're drawing nigh to Satan, right? We're drawing nigh to Satan and not even realizing that we're even doing anything all that wrong. Because he makes it look like it's not all that wrong. Right? That's, how, that's how, his, how he works in his subtleness. But we are to draw nigh to God. Then we can better be able to spot a snake in the grass. Right? So S, he's subtle. A, the first A, there's two A's. First A, he's an accuser. Accuser. Satan the accuser came before God claiming that Job, remember him? That Job was trusting God only because he was wealthy and everything was handed to him easily and everything was going well for him. And so the testing of Job's faith began. And we can read it in Job chapter 1. I'll just read a few verses. Job chapter 1 verses 8 through 11 says, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Satan is an accuser. He accused Job. Satan accuses, and you can testify to this, I'm sure. 
accuses Christians of defeat, of failure, hypocrisy, and evil. How many times has Satan whispered those things in your head as you've been trying to live a life of faith for the Lord? Things like, oh, you're never going to get this right. You screwed it up again. You messed up again. Do you really believe that God's going to accept you in if you're like this? You know, those things he he's constantly accusing us of not receiving the gift that we've received and living in defeat. He's an accuser. Like Job overcame Satan's accusations through maintaining faith, we also defeat him through faith. And you could read the whole book of Job and you could see that that's what it's about. He had these uh, things come up against him and he still was able to maintain his faith in the Lord. And that's what was able to see him through. Our faith, that's what God is interested in. Ephesians 6, 16, we read some from Ephesians 6 already, but verse 16 says, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So with the shield of faith, you can block all the accusations that the devil throws at you. And he will throw them at you, believe me. If you haven't already experienced that, you will. He will throw all kinds of, shoot all kinds of accusations at you. But with the shield of faith, we can block those accusations that the devil shoots at us. We can't succeed by ourselves against Satan. But who's your faith in? It's what faith is about. Your faith is in God. And with faith, we can overcome. You might, have, uh, you might remember the song, was it Casting Crowns or Mercy Me? One of those. The Voice of Truth. The Voice of Truth. So the Satan is going to be giving you all kinds of uh, lies. He's a master of lies. The father of lies. And he's going to be accusing you of all kinds of things. Trying to bring you down and bring you back to him. The voice of truth, the song says, the giant keeps on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. And you might be thinking of the song in your head now. So, <laughs> We have to learn to know the truth and refuse to believe the lie of Satan as he accuses us. All right, so we've got subtle, accuser, and on to T, he's a tempter. Now you know this well, don't you? He's a tempter. In Mark chapter 1, we see where even Jesus himself, as he went into the wilderness for 40 days and fasting, preparing for the ministry that he was about to embark on, that he was tempted by Satan. Tempted by Satan in the, in the wilderness. Satan tried to get Christ to yield to the lust of the flesh for power and for fame. And Satan uses the same pattern on us today. He entices us. He makes something deadly look beautiful. It's not a sin to be tempted, by the way. You know that, right? We're all tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted, but watch out. <laughs> watch out. It can quickly lead past that. James 1, verses 12 through 15, I'll read that, gives us a little uh, picture of that. James 1, verses 12 through 15. 
Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So there's a progression there. There is a temptation, and that's not sin. But the devil's going to do what he can to entice you and tempt you with things of the flesh. And if we, are, if we give in to that, then that can lead to sin, and sin can lead to death, of course. He uses things that we desire to get us away from God. Good news in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has, overcome, has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So it's a common thing. It gets better. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So if you're uh, enduring or you're being um, enticed with temptation, believe that God also has a way out for you. There is a way out. Don't think that it's hopeless. Don't think, oh, here's the temptation. <laughs> i got to follow it. Right? There is a way out. God, with every temptation, God provides a way of escape for that temptation so that we can escape it and endure it. Temptation. No one has to give in to temptation is what Paul's telling us in 1 Corinthians here. God will always provide a way out if we will just choose it. And that's the hard thing sometimes, isn't it? Choosing the way out that God gives us instead of choosing the thing that we're being enticed by. That's the life of faith. That's the battle that we're in. All right, let's move on to the next one. A. We've already seen A, that he's an accuser, but A, he's also an afflictor. Afflictor. And I'm going to go back to Job on this. Job chapter 2, verse 7. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And that's the New American Standard. I think NIV says he afflicted him. He afflicted him with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Have you ever had a boil? Or even just a bad sore, like a bad pimple. <laughs> you know? Can you imagine having one from the soles of your feet to the crown of your head all over? He was afflicted. He was in pain. He was, uh, Satan was using uh, this against him, afflicting him trying to get him to turn away from God. Even his wife told him what? Just curse God and die. <laughs> it's just so bad for you. It's just so bad. You've been afflicted so bad. Satan afflicts God's people with trouble, with sickness, worry and torment, 
But God is greater and more powerful than Satan, right? We've established that. He will deliver. He will help. He will heal. He will strengthen those who trust in Him. God just wants us to be faithful. God just wants us to be faithful. John, uh, 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. No matter how great Satan is at afflicting us, greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. With faith in Him we can overcome it. So we had subtle, accuser, tempter, afflictor. Now we're getting to the last one, in. And you're going to think, that's a kind of a weird word. Nocturnal. Nocturnal. You know what nocturnal means? Alright? means they, they operate in darkness, right? You think of like bats. Bats are nocturnal. You'll see them at night. They come out at night and they do that. Um, other animals are nocturnal. But Satan is nocturnal. What I mean by this, he operates in darkness. It says he, he is the prince of darkness. Um, he specializes and performs especially well in darkness. It is his domain, Colossians 1 said. The domain of darkness is his. Let's read uh, John chapter 3. You'll, it'll be familiar to you. Of course, the most famous verse of all scriptures, probably John 3.16, is, is included in this. But this is um, the account of Jesus talking with Nicodemus. And I'm going to start after, I'm not going to go uh, all the way back to 16. Let's start at verse 19. This is Jesus talking. He said, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Wow. People who love to spend their time in the dark, kind of shadowy places, if you will, of life are treading in Satan's territory. This is his territory. This is where he specializes. Ephesians 5.11 says, Do not participate in the deeds of darkness. Darkness is blinding, right? And Satan can keep us in bondage in the dark where we can't see our way out. But for the amazing grace of God, we who were blind now can see. John 8.12 says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And 1 John 1, 5 through 7. Apologize, we're, uh, I'm not going to be looking it up. I'm reading it from my notes. But uh, we're pushing the clock here. 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we will have fellowship with Him. Satan is not of the light. He is of darkness. He is nocturnal. He, he operates in the dark. If we find ourselves being drawn to the darkness, then we have to be careful because we're treading in, in Satan's territory. And that's where uh, we can really be um, defeated in this. 
Satan is a deceiver. I remember, uh, anybody uh, in high school joined FFA? No FFA? All right, might have had a few FFA. Okay, West Carroll Parish back there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and FFA in Oak Grove, we had the, um, the freshmen or the, the green hands, as they called us. We'd have to go through an initiation to be able to join. And I remember one of the things in it, they did a bunch of, a bunch of bad things to us. <laughs> but one of the things that was more, um, uh, not so bad, but they blindfolded us. And then they had us going through its different places out in the shop or wherever we were at. And I remember one thing is they had us on like a two by six or something. And we were walking on this two by six. And then uh, we were blindfolded. We couldn't see. We were just holding on to the guy, the the upperclassmen that was leading us through it while they were doing whatever else they were doing to us as we were doing. But uh, we were walking on this plank and, um, and then you go up on a step and it goes up a little bit higher and then you're walking on a plank. And then it's as if you're blinded, remember? You can't tell exactly what's going on, but the guy who's leading you, he's constantly doing this. You know, and he's, uh, he's lowering himself down. So you're doing this, your arm's going down. So you're thinking you're getting up like four or five feet off the ground or whatever it is, and you're on this little plank. But you're blindfolded and you can't tell. And you're deceived, right? You're deceived by that blind uh, darkness. We're e more easily deceived in darkness when we're blinded. Satan loves the darkness because he can more easily deceive us. And that's what he's all about is deceiving us, lying to us. But with the light comes truth. If I was able to take my blindfold off, I'd have been able to see, okay, I'm just six inches off the ground or whatever. And, uh, but he can put us in a state of fear. He can put us, uh, and he can just cripple us in, in fear like that because he's deceiving us when we're in the dark with him. But light shed into the darkness dispels darkness. There can't be darkness when there's light there. God's light shone on the devil's deeds shines the truth about him and about what he's trying to do to us. That he's a liar and a deceiver. So Satan, our enemy, it's good for us to know a little bit about him for our fight with him. And there's more you could study about. Matter of fact, I got a few minutes. I struggled between whether I, what I was going to do for in. So I picked nocturnal. But really... I really could have been just as good with noisy. Noisy. And what do I mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? There's so many things in this world that just we're just filled with noise, right? We get so busy and our life is so cluttered and there's all this noise going around us all the time. And Satan uses that in his fight against us. Um, I don't know if you follow NFL, but the Seattle Seahawks. They are known for being a noisy stadium. Their stadium, I think, was the number one, the noisiest stadium. It's hard for their competitors to come in and play against the Seahawks because of the, the crowd noise is so bad. And the quarterback can't communicate to his linemen and to his uh, wideouts and all that. They can't um, know what's going on. They can't communicate with each other to get to move the ball down the field because of all the noise. And that's the way it is with Satan. He loves to get a lot of noise in our life, a lot of busyness, a lot of things just going on in our life to where we can't hear the quarterback telling us how to march down the field, right? We can't hear 
God's Word when He's trying to speak to us. It's just so much noise from Satan, just from the world, the things that we get involved in, all the activities that we get involved in just becomes noise to us. And Satan loves to work in noise because he doesn't want us to hear the words of our Father. I had scripture on that. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to take the time to read it. But you know about the, the sheep hearing the voice of the shepherd. And uh, you can go back and look that one up. But for sake of time, I won't, I won't go any further on that one. So let's wrap it up. Satan, our enemy, is real. There's a real fight we're in. To be able to be in, enabled to be able to come out on top and be victorious in that, which we are through Christ. But we need to know our enemy. We need to know that he's subtle. He's an accuser. He's a tempter. He's an afflictor. And he's nocturnal or he's noisy. Whichever one you choose to, to pick for the end. So what are we going to do about that? What can we do? We'll summarize it and wrap it up with this. In his subtleness, here's what we're supposed to do. Be sober. Be on the alert. Be watchful and prayerful. And in faith, draw nigh to God. We recognize that He's an accuser. So what are we going to do? We're going to learn to know the truth. The truth. Learn to know the truth. And refuse to believe a lie. Take up the shield of faith to block Satan's arrows of accusation from Ephesians 6. Alright, we recognize that Satan is a tempter. So what are we going to do? We're going to understand that God is faithful to us and will always provide a way out. Then choose in faith to take that way out. We recognize that Satan is an afflictor. An afflictor. So what are we going to do? God will deliver, help, heal, restore, and strengthen those who trust in Him. We just have to be faithful through the affliction. Be faithful through the affliction. That's a hard thing to do. It's hard for me to tell. You're thinking, you don't know what my affliction is. I don't. I don't know what it is. Some of you have given testimony about it, but God just wants us to be faithful through the affliction. He will deliver us. And we recognize about Satan that he's nocturnal. So what are we going to do? We're going to walk in the light. Walk in the light as He is in the light, says. Walk in the light. We don't have to have blind faith. We can walk in faith in the light, in the light of Christ. And if you like noisy better, I'll throw in this one too. So we recognize that Satan is noisy. So what are we going to do? We're going to desire to hear God's voice. In the midst of all the noise, in the midst of all the chaos that's around us, desire to hear God's voice and be deliberate to find a place of solitude to where you can hear it better. There's scripture after scripture about how Jesus would draw away from the crowd so that he could talk with the Father. So even Jesus needed to hear the words from the Father, right? And to do it, he had to draw away from the noise. He had to draw away from the crowd. And we have to be deliberate to carve out some time in our day to have a quiet time. To get away from the noise 
to be able to hear Him and listen to Him and then in faith follow His voice. Did you get something out of this today? I hope so. We got to wise up. <laughs> we got to be sober. Got to wise up to Satan. He wants only to steal, kill, and destroy. And he'll do whatever he can do to have you in eternity with him in hell. Remember that Satan does have power. He's mighty. But God is what? God is almighty. God is almighty. John 4, uh, 1 John 4, 4, I read it once, but I'll close with this. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Be sober. Have your game plan ready. And on God's side, you are a winner. We are victorious. Amen? Let's stand and uh, I'll close us in prayer. If the musicians want to come, we can maybe have a song as we leave. Dear God, we're thankful that we are winners on your side. God, we're thankful that you've given us the victory, that you've uh, given us a, a spiritual rebirth, and we've been born into your kingdom. Now we're citizens of the kingdom of God, but God, we realize and we know, we feel it every day, that we're fighting a fight, a battle every day against another kingdom. And God, uh, help us to just not dismiss Satan as just some symbol of evil or um, but he is a real a real force and a real power and he's really trying to kill us god we're thankful for the life we have in you help us to be uh, steadfast and continue in our faith with you knowing that in that is where we have our victory thank you in jesus name we pray amen we're going to sing just what he said. We're on the winning side.
we go, I just wanted to apologize first for earlier when I was speaking and then I didn't voice the prayer and Scott stepped out. I got caught up in my emotional rant, I guess. Uh, I want each of you here to know that I love every one of you. And Maybe some of the stuff that I share at times or, or whatever is, is done from a pure and sincere motive and heart. I, uh, through the years, you hear people say, well, you, the stuff you know I spoke about this morning and that kind of thing, you need to talk about that at Burger King on Tuesday, not Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. What we're dealing with, it's like these are times that we've never been in before as a country and a world. And it's not a Republican versus Democrat deal. It's a good versus evil, as Scott spoke about this morning. And I just feel like we don't have to, we don't have to agree on every single issue. We don't have to do that. I think if we did, it'd be more messed up than it already is. But if we can recognize that we're fighting evil and we're called by God to fight that evil with his help, and that's the, that's the same page that we need to get on. And whether we agree with every little, little dot and diddle, that's, that's unimportant. But anyway, I love y'all. Have a great week.